Hallelujah. Well, aren't you guys looking good today? Praise the Lord. It's good to be back. Thank you, everybody. Wasn't the sound just amazing this morning? The music just amazing. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be together with all the saints. Hallelujah. It's a great, great place of eternal power and uh, wonderment, actually, that such a, such a group of people as us could be so highly favored by God. Hallelujah. Yeah, it's quite an amazing thing uh, on a number of times when I've been on the aeroplane flying with Brother Jerry or some activity or event or some, something would happen. And, uh, you know, oftentimes he would say and make a statement to me and he would say, so John, who would have thought that this, this young boy from uh, Shreveport, Louisiana would end up flying around the globe on his intercontinental jet. Who would have thought when he was 10 years old that he would do this kind of thing? And then we would all praise God together because who would have thought that such a people as us could be used so mightily by a living and wonderful God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. <clears throat> it, is a, it is a marvelous and wonderful thing to be in the hands of God rather than in the hands of men. Because the hands of men, you have no real... Uh, surety of any out kind of outcome because men will tend to behave for themselves and in their own best interests whereas God will always, always do things for your own interest and your own interest is to align with His will and not your will and uh, and it's a, it's, a rather, it's a rather sobering and yet glorious way to think. Hallelujah. So I'm going to just give you the, the headlines of my trip because that's about all I can tell you. Um, Obviously, when you go and do a trip like I just did now, I was away f 14 days, but I was actually uh, only, uh, I was traveling, probably one day out of the 14 I wasn't traveling. Otherwise, every other day I was either in church, going to church, flying to church, then driving to church, being in church driving away from church, flying to another church, and so on and so on. 
And so it uh, was all a bit of a blur to me, um, but uh, it was quite a, it's, it's quite a thing because there's, there's the big picture, and then there are things that happen within the big picture of all this organization that happens around you, and it's all pre-planned, and you have to just walk in the planning of it. And then there's all the logistics that affect your ability to walk in the plan. And then there are things that happen that uh, God, you have to be aware. You have to be aware of things that are happening in you, things that are happening to you, things that um, spiritual activities happening around you. And sometimes that awareness uh, uh, causes you to see different things. And... Uh, and uh, I, I prayed, and I thank you for your prayers, that God has made me aware of many things, both things personally and things for us. Hallelujah. So, I spent a lot of time in an aeroplane going there. I spent a lot of time in the aeroplane with Brother Jerry, went to a lot of services with him. The first couple of days I arrived in the U.S. on the Wednesday, Thursday morning, the Heritage of Faith Ministers Conference started, and the two main speakers were Brother Jesse and Brother Jerry, and we had morning, afternoon, and evening sessions uh, for two days, and then Saturday we had a Chariots of Light meeting that Brother Jerry called, and then Brother Jesse and Jerry, they spoke at the Chariots of Light meeting for the Texas uh, chapter or the Dallas-Fort Worth chapter. And uh, then Sunday was church, and then we were flying, and then we were in different churches, and then we were in Kenneth Copeland's victory campaign, and, and then I was flying home again. And that's kind of how it felt for me. <laughs> and the, the most marvelous and amazing miracle is that God gets to speak to you a lot through all of these many things that happen. You know, I got to listen to Pastor Sharon's first service, uh, and then this week I got to listen to her second service that she preached when I had just a, a moment to spare, and uh, uh, she did a good job, as she always does. Hallelujah. <coughs> and so <coughs> I'm going to just pick up where she left off. We are going to continue with Journey to New Discoveries, Part 7. Uh, I'm calling this Constellation, Confrontation, and Cooperation. And um, I'm endeavoring to create a bridge here by the leading of the Holy Spirit because uh, there are some things that have happened in me while I've been away and some things that I need to seek God on. And I'm uh, inquiring of Him how that process must unfold. So, the word constellation, as Pastor Sharon gave it to you, is assemblage or assembly of splendors and excellences. It means destiny. Is, it's what causes all that man does. Constellation is an arrangement of parts and elements. The outcome depends on the configuration of the influences of the time. 
I preached about this in 2010. The Lord gave it to me by revelation, and uh, I had an opportunity to say some words in one of the meetings that Brother Jerry had, um, and uh, they wanted to hear some things from me. And I said, well, uh, you know, if you have a revelation from God, and you only receive it as knowledge, not as revelation to live by, then it remains knowledge. It never becomes something that's part of your life. If you receive information, knowledge, a download of God's part of His knowledge, and you live it, then it becomes a part of everything that you do, and it, it becomes a, a woven fabric of revelation upon revelation that causes the tapestry of the destiny of your life. So you can't have the tapestry of your destiny of your life without many of those revelations flowing together. And one of the revelations that God gave me was uh, con Jacob's constellation. And uh, it kind of flowed together with another set of revelations that God gave me at the time, which was ancient paths, ancient language, and um, the, whole, the whole thing about ancient dreams, ancient everything. Because God is called the ancient of days. So everything that's birthed in God is coming from a source for your life that is so ancient and uh, it's a marvelous thing. That means that your life is not haphazard. It was never designed as a haphazard idea or a haphazard thought. Your life was designed so that God could have you walk on ancient paths. And the way you get to your ancient path is by speaking in the ancient language. The language of God leads you to the ancient path that you must walk in. So in the book of Romans, he talks and he says, he, because he foreknew, he therefore predestined us to walk as sons of God. That means there are things that he foreknew, so then he predestined because he foreknew. So for example, if I knew uh, that Hrobis was going to get up and walk to the front of the stage, and I knew that it was going to happen in the next 30 seconds, I would kind of just wait, wait, and then be quiet, and then wait for him to... Get up and walk to the front of the stage. Well done, Krobs. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> you see, now, I foreknew what was going to happen. And so I just created the, the opportunity for him to walk into what I foreknew. Then it became a predestined action. But it was always his choice. It was never my choice. It was his choice. It has to be his choice. Even though I foreknow it and I predestine it, it's always his choice. I just create the space for him to get up and enter into the choice that I've made for him. So uh, this goes along some of the lines that the Lord wants me to minister on, but he also wants me to be hearing from him because how many of you know that in the last two years, the Lord spoke to us and he had a very simple message, big and bold, and then big and bold version two in 22. And how much has God done in our lives, in our ministries, in our relationships, the bringing of excellencies and splendors. And one of the things, a constellation, uh, a, a gathering of very important people, and that very important people is you. Um, you to walk in the things that God has 
preordained for you to walk in. Our job is to create the space. Our, God, our job is to create the space in obedience to God so that we can obey God, make the choice for God, walk in that space for God. I trust that you have a better understanding of what it means when he foreknew, he predestined. Uh, it's a simple example, but it, it, it powerfully explains that it's still your choice. You know. Hallelujah. A constellation also means a group of people or things or circumstances related to each other in some way. Well, I always make this declaration, nothing in my life happens by coincidence. And, uh, and so because I make the confession, nothing in my life happens by coincidence, um, then I believe that everything that is happening to me is a moment of pause for me to step into what God has for me. Hallelujah. And so it's a, it's a great and marvelous thing for us to have. So that revelation of Jacob's constellation came essentially in two parts. You could add the ancient paths and ancient languages, the third part. But it essentially came in two parts. And the two parts was uh, the blessings and the Laban syndrome. So the blessings was the blessing of the fathers the blessing of the future, and the blessing of identity change. And I preached it way back then. I'm not going to preach it right now. Pastor Sharon may touch on it if she has an opportunity to minister in the next couple of weeks based on what I'm just hearing from the Lord, what I, I need to do. And I'll explain a bit more to you as the service goes on. But the blessing of the fathers is something that's very powerful because um, if a father, if a father is blessing you into your future, then there is an honor that the father is giving to his son. You, a child, it's 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 an honor that he gives. It's also the honor for the son to receive the blessing of the father. Now, when I talk like this, uh, God has created this as a principle that is established in heaven. Human beings can operate in this principle. And human fathers have operated in this principle for a long time. And predominantly, it has revealed itself in past generations where fathers have honored their, the blessing of their children by education, They've honored the blessing of their children by wealth and inheritance distributed. Uh, they've honored their children. Um, a lot of these things happened after they've died, but sometimes it happens when they're alive. They honor their children by creating opportunities for them in, in the areas that they have created for themselves. There are many things that mankind has operated in where fathers have honored their kids or blessed their kids. So if you talk about, you know, for example, the, 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 Rupert, the Murdoch family, who are very well known in the, in the media world, 
and uh, the Murdoch family has a large percentage of Murdochs that run the family business. Um, and you ask them, you say, are you blessing your sons, your daughters? He would say, no, I'm just giving them the opportunity to walk in what I've created and let's all enjoy it together. They wouldn't see it as a blessing. You understand what I'm saying? Nevertheless, they're operating in the principle of what God established. God established the principle of seed time and harvest and the whole world uses it. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. It doesn't mean to say that because, because somebody is operating in, in an inheritance uh, uh, principle that they're operating in a spiritual principle. It's a God principle that they're just using for themselves. Okay, so the power of the blessing of the fathers is not in the inheritance you can leave to your children in the natural. The blessing of, although that helps, the blessing of the fathers is more about the spiritual blessing that you can leave with them. So what do I mean by that? And I really don't want to go into this too much time, but it does help some context today. When Abraham had Isaac and he offered up Isaac to God and God said, no, through Isaac, the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Well, you know, Isaac didn't have a, a woman that he could marry. So his father made a plan. His father made a plan to send a faithful servant to a tribe far away to go and look for a woman. He sent him with instructions. He sent him with his blessing. He sent him with his favor. He sent him with an inheritance. And he said, when you find the woman, bring her back. Well, the rest is history. Jake, Isaac was married to um, Rebecca for 20 years before she had children. She was barren until the time of childbearing was necessary. And then she had two kids at the same time. And the firstborn was to receive the inheritance of the blessing, the birthright. And there was a struggle in the womb. And then God prophesied and spoke that the lesser would dominate and rule the first. The second would rule the first. So what was that all about? It was a contest for the blessing. So when the time came, uh, Esau's, uh, Isaac's eyes were blind. So if you look at that scripture, and, and uh, again, I'm not going to preach the message all over again here today, but the Bible says his eyes were dim. But he lived another 40 years at least after that moment. So his eyes couldn't have been that dim. That is both naturally and spiritually correct. His eyes were dim in that he did not see where the blessing was to be resting. All he did was operate in a natural process and say, I've got to do what is naturally my responsibility to do. He had no spiritual recognition of the true blessing. And so, of course, Jacob deceives his father into receiving the blessing because he already got the birthright. I'll tell you, 
something that has become so real to me while I've been traveling. There are things that are said and words that are spoken, conversations that you have. And uh, a lot of the conversations you have um, are based on a deep foundation of, of the way that we've walked our lives together. And so much of what was said and spoken and conversations and things that are just said, in my head I know that stuff. But if I'm saying I'm not here for by coincidence, I'm here on purpose, then no conversation is without purpose. So even when you're having casual conversations, you've got to watch out that the casual conversations don't interfere with the purpose. And that's where you've got to have awareness. That even when you're talking logistics and you're talking, and we had, we had um, quite a lot of fun. But I became aware that some of the fun that was happening was things that were happening to me. So for example, I'm not going to go there. I can't be too distracted this morning. I've got to get to this. Um, Conversations that we have, later on, I, just about every, everything I did, I recorded, I recorded. I would, I would go and make notes, go and make notes, sitting in my room at the hotel, make notes, <coughs> so that I could, rem I could remember. Even though there were conversations that I knew, <coughs> they were just a conversation on the plane, you know. So you don't want to break the conversation. Hold on, I want to make a note here. Also not in a place where you can just record all the conversations because a lot of stuff is just personal stuff. So <coughs> ask the Holy Spirit to remind me there are things that I must remember that I can make notes of that are important for me to remember. And so there's things that are said that when you go back and you think about it, you say, of course I knew that. But now that was spoken in that context and that time. And for what purpose, Lord? Now I can pray into that because I was there. The words were spoken in my company or they were spoken to me. And so I needed to pay attention. Hello. So it doesn't matter what the conversations were all about, the conversations become important by the, imp the weightiness that I give them. Otherwise, they're just words that get spoken and then they're words that never get remembered. So the conversations can just be conversations or they can be powerful conversations that I give value to it and then the value that I give to it becomes a value to my life. And so as I was continuing to fly, this is what the Lord reminded me of and He said to me, John, I want you to be paying attention, you know, and that happened after the, after the minister's conference. <coughs> and uh, maybe the Lord will give me an opportunity to share some special private moments, you know, that we had, but uh, just wonderful things. But it was after one of those very private moments that I had with Brother Jerry and Brother Jesse, and uh, I walked into the, into the speaker's lounge. You know, I don't assume that because I'm invited and because I have the privilege of being in the back room with Brother Jerry that I must always go into the back room. There are, peop there are preachers and there are people that, that assume that if you're invited once, you're always invited. 
I never assume that. Whenever I arrive there, I always assume like I'm not invited. And if he wants me to be invited, he'll invite me. So just because I was invited in there on the first day, doesn't mean to say that I'm invited in every meeting on every occasion. So I just, out of, out of respect and dignity of the relationship and the friendship that Brother Jerry and Jesse have, I'm sure they want their own space too. Now some people might say, well, you know, you there to, to do and be with Brother Jerry isn't there. Well, that's not the way that I see it. You know, the way that I see it is, if he wants me there, let him call me there. Yeah, but you could miss out if you don't step into it. I'd rather have it that way. Because then if I'm invited, then I come with much more authority and I come with much more confidence and surety that I'm invited. Are you learning something about protocol today? So, so Brother Jerry invited me into the room and uh, we were standing talking and some words came out of my mouth and, and Brother Jesse, he jumped on it like white on the rice, you know. And he had something to say about it. And so then the, we had a lot of fun about that for five minutes, you know. And, uh, well, you remember moments like that and you have those moments of joy and just, they're just relational moments where you just have things that, that God has ordained for you to enjoy. You know, you remember those moments, but the, there's no real value to it because the words were just fun. But those kind of fun moments create opportunity for other words to get spoken. Later, somewhere else in another setting, you know. And so, you know, another protocol is like Brother Jesse said to me. He said, so, so John, you know, uh, I really want to come back to South Africa. Brother Jesse, Jerry's sitting there. Brother Jesse's talking. The three of us are having a conversation. And, he says, and then he goes quiet. What's he doing? He's doing what I do to Hrobis. He's opening a door for me to walk in. Brother Jerry's sitting right next to me. And I remain quiet. Pregnant pause. And eventually you, the pregnant pause can only go so long. And then someone has to speak. And that someone was Brother Jesse. He started talking about how he loves South Africa. He loves the people. He's creating more opportunity for me to walk in. I remain silent. What am I waiting for? It's not my invitation to take. It's for Brother Jerry to say, John, you should invite Brother Jesse. You see, I could have walked into that. But fundamentally, I would have sidestepped a significant protocol that I have seen as a protocol that Brother Jerry walks in. And so I watched someone. He was in Brother Copeland's conference. And I watched someone come and give Brother Jerry a significant check. 
he took that check and he immediately signed the back of it and he put it into the offering for Kenneth Copeland Ministries. He has his level of protocol. If I'm here to serve Brother Copeland and it's his meeting and someone comes and gives me a check, it's not mine to keep. It's Brother Copeland's money because I'm serving him. So, see, I've observed some things. I've watched some things. And then over the years, and I've watched and learned from how Brother Jerry operates in honor. So in an honor situation, the reason I'm sitting at that table is because I'm aware. And the reason I'm sitting at that table is I don't use my relationship with Brother Jerry for exactly that moment. I'm not there to have those moments. I'm there because I love Jerry Savell. I serve Jerry Savell. I don't love Jerry Savell and serve Jerry Savell because I can have access to Jesse Duplantis or to Kenneth Copeland or anyone else. I'm there for him. So the moment came and went and passed. And so you say, well, John, is Jesse Duplantis coming to South Africa? He is. Will he come? He will. When? I don't know. How's it going to happen? Through Brother Jerry. He already told me. He's coming. Brother Jerry heard it. But I'm not, I'm not confusing relationships here. Amen. On the contrary, I will tell you that while I was in America traveling with Brother Jerry, many preachers came to me and made invitations, gave me Open invitations. Invite us anytime you want to. We'll come and you know, don't worry about paying for it. We'll come. I mean, we're talking about well-known speakers. I wasn't there for that. The blessing of the Father is very important because, you know, I recognize the blessing that Brother Jerry has given to me because when I received that blessing of the Father's, I immediately said, well, who's my father? And uh, my own natural father had already died and gone to be with the Lord. Uh, but he had already blessed me in the early part of my life to walk in my ministry. And now my spiritual leader was there. And so I went, when I received this, I, f I knew Brother Jerry was going to be in England. And so I flew to England, to London, to specifically ask him. I said, and I shared this. I shared this revelation with him and I said, Brother Jerry, I'm seeking to have your blessing as my father in the spirit. And he said, John, uh, come to the heritage. So this was like three weeks later. I flew to London to see him, came back. He said, come to the minister's conference three weeks from now in Texas and I'll pray for you. Well, Yes, sir. You know, my natural mind was like, can't you pray for me now? <laughs> it's like, that's why I came here. <laughs> you 
And he was thinking, no, no, no. And he understood immediately, if you're asking for this kind of blessing, I've got to have it in me. So if you want it, come. So then the, uh, we, uh, we, I went. Uh, Sharon went with me to London. I went to Texas. Um, and then Brother Jerry said to me, and so Johnny, if you come to the minister's conference for Brother Copeland in January, I'll speak to Brother Copeland, and him and I will both lay hands on you and Sharon. I never asked for that, but God ordained that. Because the revelation I made personal to me, that I read from the Word of God, that I got from God, I made it valuable and personal. And so when we went in January, he called, me into, called us into the room. He briefed Brother Copeland about it beforehand. And there we stood in the, in the, in the speaker's lounge where Jesse was and all the big speakers that you could think of in the faith world. They were all there. And Brother Copeland walks up to Sharon and I and Brother Jerry and Brother Copeland are there. And, they, and he begins to prophesy over us and lay hands on us and bless us. Because the blessing of the Father is important for you to have a blessing of your future. You see, many, many sons want to express their own will and they want to do their own thing to show what kind of uniqueness they have. There's a good place for that. But if it's under the covering of the blessing of the Father, everything the son does is blessed. So because Jacob had the blessing of the father. He goes on his journey to go, firstly escape death from his brother who wanted to kill him for getting the blessing. But also he needed a future with a wife and a family in it. And so while he's on his journey, a journey to new discoveries, while he's on his journey, he has an encounter with God and he gets this vision and there are angels going up and down a ladder to heaven and God speaks to him and blesses his future and he walks slap bang into the Laban syndrome and the Laban syndrome was I recognize the blessing of God on your life give me all your energy give me all your blessing give me all your talent give me all of the legacy of heritage of faith that you have give it all to me so that I can be blessed and he did it out of a need that Jacob had. He fell in love with a woman and then he deceived him by giving him a different woman and then he said, but don't worry, you can still have the woman you love, just work for me another seven years. It's the Laban syndrome. You will never be satisfied with what you think you can get for yourself. The Laban syndrome will always be there to move the goalposts. Always. The only way you can be deeply satisfied is to depend on what God tells you about your future, which is what happened to Jacob. He realized he had another encounter with an angel of God, could have been the Lord himself, and he realized it's time for me to get free of Laban. And so he confronts Laban. That's hence the title of my message today is Constellation, Confrontation, and Cooperation. So he has a confrontation with Laban. And he says, for all these years I've worked with you and your life is blessed and none of your stock have gone missing and everything that you've actually put your hands to has been blessed. And so now it's my turn to get blessed. 
And so Laban says, well, what is it that you want? And he says, well, I just want all of the offspring of the speckled and spotted lambs. So Laban agrees, and then he goes sneaky behind his back, and he says to his sons, take all the speckled and spotted and marked sheep and goats and move them as far away as you can get them away from where, where Jacob is. That's how the world system works. They'll say, give me your talent, give me your this, we'll give you this money, buy your house, do this, do that, get into debt, do this, do this, do that. And they'll take everything, 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 and they, but the rules keep changing, but, and you'll never find joy. You might have all of the plaudits, all of the words, all of the fame, all of the stuff. People might talk your name, but you'll never be satisfied because God is the only one who could satisfy you. Anyway, God does a miracle for Jacob. And in, in a very short space of time, his wealth gets to a point where it exceeds the wealth of Laban. And then he realizes once again, because the blessing of God is on my life, uh, I have to flee. So he takes his wives and his children and everything, and he makes a run for it. Laban catches up with him. They end up making an oath of not being at war with each other. But now he's got to face his past. And his past is a very powerful enemy. Very powerful enemy, his past is Esau. His past is his brother. His past is all of the strength of the might of the, of the world's system. He has to face the past. I'll tell you what. You may think that you, do, you can... This is a big thing that God showed me while I was on this trip. I didn't, I didn't, he didn't show it to me in the context of this revelation. He showed it to me in the context of you can do nothing against the truth. There is nothing you can do against the truth. If God is all truth, he's almighty, all powerful, there is nothing you can do against the truth. You may think that you can define your ways in your life without God. Or you may say, I can do it on my terms and give God some. The truth is always going to come back and show you that the truth, the true and living God, is the standard. It's the standard. So, <clears throat> thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Holy Spirit reminded me, because this morning I was sitting praying about the service, and uh, I thought I might, I might do this in the service, and I wanted to talk to Krobis about it beforehand, and then I didn't, but I'm just going to flow with it anyway. Hallelujah. <laughs> So, you know, there was a time in Chobis' life where you, all of you know about this. There was a time in Chobis' life, for many, many years, he thought he could run his own life. Right, Chobis? He was around me all the time. He was hearing the messages in church every Sunday. 
he was my cycling partner in many others as others were. Um, traveled with us, Christy and Robbie's traveled with Sharon and I overseas to many meetings. They were a witness to things that people said of us, preachers prophesied over us in, in areas that we've never even shared with you really, or maybe shared it once, and, but they were there, you know. And all of that time, Robbie's thought it was okay, I can hide. I don't have to tithe. I don't have to give God my stuff. He thought he could hide. Then one day in church, is it okay for me to share this? Then one day in church, he did something that he was doing in his, in his flesh. Pastor Sharon perceived it and she judged it publicly. Not publicly like this, she came to him privately, but it was in the service. And uh, she judged Chrobis' behavior. What happened in Chrobis' heart was that he turned the event as an accusation against me and Sharon. And for a long period of time, he would speak to anybody that would hear him that there were accusa accusations against me and against Pastor Sharon. He had lots to say, how wrong we were. Right, Robis? What, like we were a cult, is what he was saying. <laughs> he was saying that was the good part. I don't know what else the bad part was. So what happened was, was, what happened was, because the truth had always been given to him, God held him accountable for the truth that he heard. Because you think you can hide, but you can't. And so, I remember that time, uh, there was a lot of activity going on relationally and emotionally in the people in the church. And I had to be silent and say nothing because there was nothing to say. Because I had to let God do what he had to do in Chorbis' heart. So the day came. In fact, I was traveling overseas. And while I was traveling overseas, the Lord began to deal with me. And he said, it's time to go back to Chorbis and tell him that I love him. And that if he will repent, he can have everything be restored to his life if he truly repents. Repentance is not something that's spoken words and says, I'm sorry. Repentance is a change of behavior. It's a change of the way that you go about living life. And so I went, I made an appointment to see them and I went in the fear and trembling of God because I recognized that here's a moment that could be and he already knew it. I didn't know that he knew that at the time. I kind of knew it, but there was no words between us. We had nothing to say to each other. Uh, but I knew this was a moment where Chrobis was choosing life and death. Literally, life and death. Not just spiritual life and death. Because if he said, no, we are wrong, I don't want to repent, his very life was at stake. 
So I went into the house and I said, Krobis, I'm here to tell you what the Lord said to me. And if you will repent, then I will pray with you today, right now. We will kneel together. We will pray together. And I will walk with you and do with you whatever I can do with you if you will repent. And I thank God that he repented. And more and more, his life is becoming a testimony together with Pastor Christie. They are stepping up and walking in more unity. They're walking in more love. They're walking in more love together. Their purpose is unfolding more and more together as, as he continues to bow his knee to the Lord Jesus every day of his life. You see, he needed to have an encounter with the living God where the living God had to say, I have to correct you because your life is at stake. You can't go on pretending. You can't go on pretending. You have to make a decision. And I thank God that Robbie's repented because he always was my brother. He always was my brother. You know, we used to drive together in the car to go cycling. And I would preach to him. And he would have all these questions, questions. And it all came out of a heart that was untrepentant and unyielding. I wouldn't, and I would speak words to him and say, Robbie, you can't see it like that. You can't see it like that. You can't see it like that, Robbie. The word of God says this. The word of God says this. The word of God says this. And so what happened was that God held him accountable. The time came. God holds all of us accountable. These young people will tell you, I asked them to pray for me before I went to America. They might know better than me. My life feels like a blur at the moment. But uh, I asked them to pray for me because I felt like there was an Elijah moment coming. And the Elijah moment is... Was, uh, I felt this happening in my heart. I felt it happening spiritually. I felt it was happening in the spirit world. I felt an Elijah moment was coming. And the Elijah moment was a confrontation between the gods of this world and the true and living God. And that there would, there would be something rising up in me that would say, bring your God, bring your God, bring your God that is so important to you, bring it and make offerings to your God and make sacrifices to your God and see if he will answer to you. And I will bring a sacrifice to my God and then we will see which God answers by fire. You know. And so I thought it would be an event but the event has already happened. It has already happened. And I'm just letting you become aware that part of the reason that I am in deep, deep uh, uh, 
meditation with the Lord. Is because we have we have the potential of a of one of our people that is on the point of death. And I'm not sure that there's anything that I can do to stop it. But the love of God is always able to work in my heart. As a result of what happened between us, me and Krobis, and Sharon and Krobis, Christy, Pastor Christy, the Lord had me go into a big study which I presented to Christy and Pastor Lynn and a number of people. I presented to them a whole, a whole study that I did. And the study was judgment is God's perfect weapon of love. Because sometimes the grace of God and the love of God through grace can't do the job of getting you to repent because, because repentance is too easy unless there is, a, unless there is something that happens. Sometimes that judgment comes in the form of your life going to the pigs because it's all about your choices. Sometimes that judgment is God just saying, enough. And the Apostle Paul had to make a decision like that. He had to make a decision and say, I've had to hand his body over to the devil so that his soul could be saved. It's not something that you take lightly. Well, Chrobis will tell you, and this was part of the main thing, Chrobis will tell you, and I encourage any of you, if you want to find out what happened to Chrobis, come and talk to him. He will tell you that he felt like he was in hell. For 18 months, he felt like he was in hell. There was no joy in his life. There was no peace in his life. There was nothing in his life that had any meaning. He couldn't sleep. He, could, he had panic attacks. He had all kinds of things happened to him, and yet the words that came out of, his, out of his mouth were strife and hate and division and all kinds of things. Accusation against us. He will tell you that it has been the worst, that was the worst 18 months of his life. People say, well, you know, I can disobey God, I can disobey God, I can disobey God. You can. But the truth will be the standard. And I have to face that in myself. Part of the reason this is so big and so important to me is because I have my own weaknesses, people. I have my own humanity that I must deal with. I have my own judgments that I must make of myself. You know, I'm reminded, and I have been reminded, and a lot of things, as I said, none of, no conversations happen by coincidence. And, uh, but you know, uh, Brother Hagen received, I mean, he's in his 70s. He's in his 70s. He was about as old as Brother Jerry is now. 
And the Lord spoke to Brother Kenneth Hagan and said, I want you to have Holy Ghost meetings. And he said, Lord, I've been in the ministry all these years and I don't want to, I don't want to have meetings like all these flaky Holy Ghost meetings that are happening. I don't want to be associated with the flakes. The Lord said to him, Kenneth, I want you to do Holy Ghost meetings. He said, I don't want to be associated. This conversation went on with him and God for three years. Eventually he got sick. The same condition that was on him when he was a teenager that God saved his life with, a heart disease, that heart condition came back into his life in, in the 70s. And so he got so sick he went into hospital and he was busy dying. He was, he was dying. It was the end. Aretha was there. It was the end. The Lord said to him, the reason you're in, he, he was like inquiring of the Lord, I've, I've, been, I've had no sickness in my life for 50 years, why am I sick now? The Lord said to him, you disobeyed me. I told you to do Holy Ghost meetings and because you've disobeyed me, they've opened the, the door for the devil to have entrance into your life and he's able to come after your health and take your ministry and take your life because you opened the door. Now, you understand, that kind of conversation doesn't happen with somebody that just got saved or somebody that's just been in the church for five years. This is something that happens when you've been in the church a long time and you've sat in many, many churches, services, or you've been a pastor or you've been on the forefront of what God's doing. And then you turn your back on the will of God. So am I, people, if I disobey God, I can't say that I'm immune from God's judgment. Come on. So I stand before you today in somewhat of a sober, sober mind frame. Even though my weeks have been glorious, I stand with you in a sober frame of same of mind because... I have, to, I have to be first, first self-judgment oriented. I have to examine myself. That's the whole point of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When you eat the Lord's table, examine yourself. Make sure you don't eat and drink unworthily. Because when you eat and you drink unworthily, there are some with you that are get, get sick and some will be weak, and some will die early. Some will be weak and sick, and some will die early. Why? What that, is that examination? It's about your place in the body. It's what you do to the body of Christ, and what you don't do with the body of Christ. And if you read that whole thing, it's in, in context. It's about the body of Christ. And it's about what you do in the body of Christ. And so I have my own examination to do. But how many of you know that what happened to Chrobis has caused the fear of God to come in this church? For those that have been here and have received it, you understand that when God speaks, there is nothing you can do to stop it.
And you also know that Pastor Sharon and I don't go around doing this all the time. We don't, this is not the kind of stuff that we do in the church as a matter of ongoing process. But we have words to speak. Amen. Thank you, Krobis. Thank you. Hallelujah. So, there are two things that the Lord spoke on the, on the minister's conference. Brother Jerry had it in his heart, heart to speak provision for the vision. And then on the Sunday morning, Brother Jerry and Jesse tag-teamed and they talked about the blessing zone. And so, the Lord led me to this scripture this morning. In Genesis chapter 36, I'm going to read it to you, verse 6. Then Esau, remember Jacob's constellation, Jacob and Esau. Jacob had the constellation. Esau had no birthright and no blessing because he gave it away for food. What does the food represent? The food represents the appetites of the flesh. I have to make my own judgments and examine myself that my appetites, that my flesh is not something that's keeping me from my birthright. So do we all. Right? And uh, we always need to be mindful of it because if, if we think that we are something special that God would use us in a particular way and we are not sober-minded about it. You see, the whole thing about examining yourself and confessing your faults one to another is that if you do that, then you bring, you bring rehabilitation and repentance. You bring the presence of God to bring healing anointing into that whole place. But if you don't go into that process, then it, we go back to what I preached before we went, where perception becomes the thing that you live by, not truth. And then if you live in perception, then you can't have the correction. Because correction can only come from truth. You can't, you can't correct a perception. Because your perception is your truth, not truth is your truth. Or an error of the truth is your truth. Your life is based on the perception of what you choose truth to be. So when your life is based on perception, then you don't want to receive correction. Because only truth can bring correction. So that you no longer live in perception. And so you perceive your world to be your world. Come on now, let's, let's all be honest with each other. How many of you go around thinking that everything that you do is wrong? The reason you go and do what you do is because you think you're right. So if your perception is that you're doing everything right for you, then what's going to change your perception of the way you live? It can't be someone else's perception. Because then it's just two perceptions getting into agreement with each other to create another perception. And so this whole world is created on perception. And perception requires a performance 
to make it work. Otherwise, you don't have anything out of the perception if there's no performance. So everybody's life must be performance-oriented. And so if your life is performance-oriented, then you don't want the correction because it's so powerful. It's an intoxicating drug to perform. And when you're on that performance curve and you're on the elevated path of performance above others and your performance is elevating itself above other performances, it's an intoxication that is so, it's like a drug. It's called the lust of the flesh, the pride of life and the pride of eyes. It's what it is. It's what the truth of the Bible says it is. I have to be careful that none of that comes into my old nature and dominates me. Come on now. I'm speaking openly and vulnerably and honestly with you today. So when I go to Brother Jerry and uh, I'm there and he's, his theme for the conference, I didn't know this was his theme, I found out when I got there. Provision for the vision. I'm going to share with you in a few minutes and then I'm going to be, I'll be done today. So Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters and all the persons of his household, his cattle and all his animals and all his goods, which he had gained in the land of Canaan. Where did he gain his wealth? In the land of Canaan, what was the land that God gave to Abraham? Canaan. He gained the wealth in the land of his father. But he never had the birthright or the blessing of the father. But he gained his wealth there. Watch this. And he, so he gained in the land of Canaan and went to a country away from the presence of his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. And the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. One of the most powerful messages that I ever heard Brother Jerry preach was a message, he who is coming and walking out of the land of Edom. There's a message of redemption. Esau being red, the blood of Jesus being red, being redeemed from the effects of Esau. Anyway, I've spent 27 years in Brother Jerry's messages, so there's lots that I remember off the top of my head. Sometimes the Holy Spirit reminds me of it, but I'm not sure that even Brother Jerry will remember it unless we talk about it because he preached it a long time ago. Very powerful message. Genesis 36, verse 33, I just want to show you this, that these are the chiefs that were in all of the tribes that Esau, Chief Magdil and Chief Iram, these were the chiefs of Edom according to their dwelling places in the land of their possessions. Esau was the father of the Edomites. Now Jacob dwelt in the land, chapter 37, verse 1, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. This 
is the history of Jacob. What's the next verse? The beginning of the next verse. Joseph. This is the history of Jacob. We're talking about Jacob's constellation. This is just new things God gave me so that we could create a bridge here. Jacob is in the land of his father. This is the history of Jacob, Joseph. The history of a father is about the blessing that God gave him that came to his sons. And of all of his sons, only two of them, one of them, Joseph, only two of them truly walked in the blessing of God. They all got blessed. The original sons of Jacob. There was Ephraim and Manasseh also. But that's another story. Joseph was 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to, of them to his father. Of who? <laughs> Joseph brings a bad report to his father of who? His brothers. You will find out if you keep reading in the book of Genesis how bad his brothers were. Certainly his brothers were bad enough that after what is about to happen, they want to kill him, Joseph. So if you've got murder in your heart, that's not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Now, I just want you to be clear about this. The relationship that Joseph had with Jacob was not because his father loved him more. The relationship that Joseph had with Jacob was, uh, is about to be revealed. So there's some statements of, there are true statements, and then there's a statement of truth. So it doesn't mean that just because Jacob had a favored one son, that that is a principle in God's word. That is just a statement of fact. That Jacob loved Joseph more than the other sons because he was the son of his old age. So that is just a statement of fact. That's not the way God treats us. God has no favor rights. We are all born equal in his eyes. Favorite status comes when you step into faith and faith brings the favor. And you've all been given the same measure of faith. It's just how you use it. In one of the churches, Brother Jerry's spoken, he said it again. And he said, and if you don't come after what God's got for you, I'll take your inheritance too. And that statement is also biblical. Because there was a guy, God gave him something and he buried it. And when he actually dealt and judged the whole matter, he said, now take the one that buried it and give it to the one who multiplied it. Hallelujah. 
So Israel loved Joseph more than his other children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. I want to just say to this, they could not speak peaceably to them. Why do you suppose Jacob did love Joseph? They, he says it's because of his old age. But maybe Joseph had a peaceful relationship with his son. Maybe those other guys, as you will see, they were very contentious, very aggressive, very earthly-minded people. Contentious. They were contentious. They were always contending for things. They were competitive. They were competitive with each other. Well, you could say, if you've got nine boys in the household or eight sons in the house, you know, you're going to have competition. It doesn't have to be that way. That's also not the spirit of God. That's a human spirit. Well, it's, it's a devil spirit that operates in humans. Competition. And it's the basis of the whole foundation of our world system that we live in. Competition. And we think that that's the answer. So, now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And he said to them, please hear this dream that which I have dreamed. There, 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 were, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed to, down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? I want to make a point here. There's a lot I'm gonna, I can say. And we'll just see how God works with us. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying to you, I don't want you to think that church is as normal with me. I may not pitch up to church next Sunday. Someone will be here. But I might not be here. I might be just waiting on the presence of God or in the process of examining myself. Because there are serious matters to deal with. Amen. Of course, I wouldn't be saying this if I didn't think that they were that serious. I'm not saying it one way or another, but let's see what, what God's got to do with. Will you work with me on this? And so I'm just giving you a framework of what happened while I was traveling, things that I saw, and so on. And his brother said, shall you indeed reign over us? Can you see that competition? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? The answer is, if you're walking in the blessing that you got as a birthright, there is no one that can have a dominion over your birthright. But when you have the blessing and the birthright, no one can take that from you. You will reign and you will have dominion. If you have the blessing and the birthright. And I don't care what it looks like for a long period of time. Isn't that what the whole, child, the whole nation of Israel said about their tithes? 
Why should we tithe? Look at all the people of the world. They don't tithe and they don't walk around with long faces. They go to parties all the time. They drink and, and they party and they do all these things and they have a happy life and they don't tithe and they don't walk around as mournful people because they've got to obey a God that has all these laws upon them. And God says, is that the way you think about me? Your words have been stout against me. Therefore, and then he says to them, prove me now. If you don't repent, and if you don't do the things that I tell you to do, if your life will not continue to be so blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed, that there will not be anybody that could outdo your blessing or take it away from you, if you will walk with me. Don't let your words be against me like the world says. Why would you want to serve God and tithe and give your, your, your money to God? Because the rest of the world lives in wealth and gets away with it. Really, they get away with it? You don't think that the enemy of God is out to steal, kill, and to destroy their future? I've just come from America, so excuse me. Ask the Democratic Party. Ask anybody who's invested in Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. You don't know about FTX yet? You don't know about FTX yet? The biggest cryptocurrency collapse that has happened ever. They estimate, they can't read here, they don't yet have a number, but they estimate that in real, real money, it could be as much as between 40 and 200 billion dollars lost of people's pension funds, lifestyle that they put into cryptocurrency in a company called FTX. So what has that done to the whole cryptocurrency market? It's pulled it all down. I had conversations with some young men one time and they were asking me about cryptocurrency and they said, would you invest in it? And I said, no. I said, why not? They said, why not? I said, because it's not regulated. And they said, yeah, but that's the power of it. It's not regulated. I said, then you think the governments are gonna let that happen? You think people are not going to take advantage of this unregulated financial system that no one has got any kind of control over? Anyway, I'm just trying to tell you, if you think that, you, that there's a system out there that you can get away from God's system, that system is feeding on itself to steal, kill, and to destroy all of mankind. It has no other way because the God of that system is the God of this world. It's the devil himself. And if you think you, could, you can run free in that system and live the dream life in that system, that dream will come collapsing on you like a nightmare. It's just a matter of time. Well, don't talk to me about that now, Pastor John, because everything looks so good for me. It's just a matter of time. And more often, hear me now, people, more often than not, it's the thing that you've put your most investment into, your most effort into, what you desire the most is the thing that gets to destroy it. Don't 
you can shut me down and say, I mean, this might not be comfortable preaching, but this is good preaching. Yeah, because if you think you've got the power to uphold all of your dreams and all of, your, all of the stuff you've ever invested in your life, if you think you've got the power to hold on to it, the devil has been working with people like you that think they can power control their lives for hundreds and thousands of years. You think he doesn't know what buttons to press and at the right time he just unleashes that thing. And you say, where did that come from? And sometimes it's because you have a dream. It's because sometimes you have a spiritual godly dream. Sometimes it's the dream of your own right hand. Sometimes God gives you a dream. Sometimes God's given you a dream, but you feel, think you can make it happen by yourself. God willing, I'll have time to talk to you about this. Time to come. So, they said, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more. Then he dreamed still another dream and he told it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers and his fathers rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. So there's a few things here that Brother Jerry said in his ministry when he ministered on provision for the vision. He said, you must have a word from God. Did Joseph have a word from God? He had a dream and he had a word from God. It's a clear word from God. It's not a word that is, you know, I, I'm going to pursue this thing here because I like it. How many of you know I like the bush? When I was a little kid, my dad used to go and preach in, ch in church in Skukuza and take me with him some weekends and holidays. He used to go and preach in the free church in the Kruger Park. And I would stay in the families there. All I wanted to do was be a game ranger. But you know, as young as I was then, I knew that I could never become a game ranger. Because I already knew that God had called me to this. And so, if I had pursued what I wanted to do, I could have been one of those guys that wore a red beard. Now it would be gray, but then it would have been red. My hair was blonde, but my beard was red. You know. And uh, I'd have been one of those guys traipsing around in the bush all day, talking about scorpions and snakes and all manner of lovely things. But it doesn't matter how much I had a passion for that, still have a passion for it. It was never meant for me to live my life by that passion. It was for me to live my life by his design, not by my passion. It was for Joseph to, leave, to live by the dream, the word that God had for his life, not by his passion. I would say, if you want to know, I would say that Joseph's passion was peace. Why? Because he peacefully lived with his dad. And he brought news, I believe, because he wanted peace in the family. 
I, brought, I believe he brought the dreams because he wanted the, the families to see that actually there's a divine thing going on in our family. And will you accept that instead they rejected it? So you must have a word from the Lord. You must be willing to act on it. And then you can ask and you should have at least a second confirming word. Why? Because the Bible says by two or by three. So this is not mom and dad or a husband and wife getting into agreement with each other. Because that's easy. I mean, that's a powerful thing to be. But if you're going to have a confirming word, let it come from someone else that God will speak to. That confirms what God has called you to or called your life to. And then you need to sow a significant seed. These are Brother Jerry's points that he brought. He didn't use these scriptures. He used completely something else. I'm just using what he taught in his broadest headlines that he said, if, if you want provision for the vision, then you must do this. You must sow a significant seed. And then... God will give you specific instructions about what to do next. And you need to position yourself so that he can speak to you in the right place at the right time. So I am endeavoring to make sure that whatever God's placed in my heart, and what I am I'm seeing in front of me and in front of us, that I'm in the right position. And it... Part of it is starting with examining myself and because some of what's happening uh, is actually the spirituality of this household. The spiritual standard of life that is this household is speaking. And the standard of love is bringing judgment in this house. All of us, not just me, it's all of us. Hallelujah. You know, if I speak to any of the people that were around Krobis at the time, and then they later on saw what God did, if I go back to them, and I, I don't bother to do that because it's not relevant. Do you understand what I'm saying? Whatever words were spoken, I know all of them were spoken out of a good heart. They wanted reconciliation. They wanted peace. They wanted togetherness. But, but how do we explain, how could we explain to them at the time what God was doing? We couldn't. In fact, if we started to explain it, the very thing that God needed to do would probably not have happened. Because we would have had too many words that as spiritual authorities we would have allowed to be spoken. And so then it might have let him off the hook and the true repentance that God needed to do in him might not have, might not have come out. Hello? And so if I have anything to say to you today, please don't take what I've said in this message today and have comments about it. Please don't have opinions about it. Don't go saying words to anybody and say, what is Pastor John speaking about? 
Because if you get it right, what does that mean? To you. If you get it wrong, then you're on the wrong path anyway. And even if you've got it right, you're not going to say the spiritual thing about it anyway. Because God didn't call you to have anything to say about it. Which is why I've got to make sure that I'm in the right place with God if he wants me to speak about it, other than words that have already been spoken. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. And so I conclude the message by reading a psalm to you. And I trust that the psalm that I read to you today will show you, number one, the in, what's in my heart. And number two, what's in God's heart. And number three, what is the way of God in a matter? Are you all ready for it? I'm just going to read the whole psalm. It's 27 verses. So just bear with me. It is a psalm of David. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Let me tell you, God knows even your thinking. He knows your thinking and you think you can hide your thoughts from God? He knows everything about the intent of every single person. And people can say words about stuff. But God knows what's going on. And you can never speak against the truth. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff. Come on. How many of you have got no bad stuff in your life, have never had any bad stuff in your life? Put up your hand so I can cast that lying devil out of you. God knows all of it with all of us. Which is why everything that we have to do before God is with gratitude and humility. Not with anything that says, I know it all and I've got all the answers. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Well, in the New Testament, in the Spirit of Christ, we can reach for it. Where can I go from your Spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Let me tell you, even these unborn again people that run around the earth committing chaos and havoc and murder and killing and stealing, they cannot escape the order of God's presence that he placed in the earth. Judgment will come to them. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Well, what hell is that? It's his own hell that he makes. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. 
and your right hand shall hold me. Whenever you see God referring to his right hand, as Brother Jerry has taught, it is the strength of God. It is the power of God. It is the authority of God. And so I can say, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Your power, your dominion, your authority shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day in your presence. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Why? Because in him there is no darkness. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. And skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance before I was even formed. Being yet unformed. And in your book they, were, they all were written. The days of your life have been written in the book before you were even born, before your substance was made. If you think God is not a God that has a destiny for your life, it's already written in the book, in, even in the Old Testament in the days, in the way that God under, he, David understood God. He was speaking about how God had a plan for his life before he even knew him. Before he was even substance, God knew him and was forming him. In the place of secret where no one else could see, God was already there with David. And we think that we can just run our lives the way we want. Hallelujah. When as yet the days, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. You know, how do you take the name of the Lord's? How do you take God's name in vain? You say that God can't do things that he can. You don't give God the place and right in your life that you should. When you do that, you take his name in vain. Even if you are a born-again believer, you say... God doesn't have the right to run my life, I'll do it. That's taking his name in vain. Because who are you? Are you not Christian? Are you not Christian? Is your name Christiani? Christian. That means you are like Christ, you are Christ one, otherwise known as the little anointed one. How can the little anointed one say, I do not trust the anointing to run my life? Yeah. 
Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Why does he put that line in there? Where there is ever any part of me that doesn't put you first place in my life and see what you have created me to be, I am as guilty. And I need my own grace and I need my own judgment of myself so that I can be free and be repenting so that I can walk in the ways of God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Those things, anxieties, those things that don't line up with your words, search those things out in my heart. And see if there's any wicked way, any place where I've missed you, God, in the way that I'm supposed to walk with you. And lead me in the way everlasting. Hallelujah. There's, there's, a two part, there's two parts of the seriousness of my message this morning. Part one is, if there is a way that, that there is deliverance for someone who's chosen to walk away from God, then I would seek that from God. And if there is anything that I can do and God requires of me to do, I will go out of my way. And I mean that my, my whole search is to say, if there is any way in me, anything in me that would prevent me from doing something because of my own self-nature, then I ask God to search my heart. To search my heart. And if there is any wicked or crooked way or anything inside of me that is not in alignment with God, I seek Him to reveal it to me. There is another part to this. And uh, this was a big part that was ministered to me out of Brother Jerry's minister's conference. And you know, when the Lord said to me in 2000 and, uh, the end of 2021, that for 2022, I want you to be bold, be strong and be bold and courageous. Go big and go bold, part two in 22. I had this thought, and Lord, I said, how are you going to go bigger and bolder in 22 after what you did in 21? Yes, all the years of lockdown. What amazing things that God did when there was a pandemic on the earth he did in our ministry. So how are you going to do that? And he said to me now, when, when I was away, he said to me, John, I've put things in you, those ancient, those ancient dreams, those ancient dreams that you've dreamed, that I gave you to dream when you were a teenage boy. He said to me, he said, this is the time and this is the moment. I want to, I want to rekindle those dreams. Come on. I'm just giving you a headline. Because of Joseph sharing his dreams, his brothers wanted to kill him. But God had given him a dream to fulfill so his brothers couldn't kill him. What they did was they sold him 
into slavery. That means that they took him out of the family structure, out of the picture, kept financial support from him, kept all manner of development from him, sold him as a slave. And so Joseph finds himself working for a, for a man for many years whose wife tries to seduce him, ends up in jail, spends many years in jail. You would think, where's this guy's dream? Well, the fact that God gave him a dream meant that God met, had to make it come to pass. He didn't ask for the dream. Come on. And when the moment was right, God bypassed the whole system. God bypassed the whole system and placed him on top of the whole system. So that he could save and redeem the whole system. Yeah. But all along the while, if you had asked anybody that was in connection or associated with Joseph, they would say, ah, where's your dream now? Oh, that dream that you had, that big dream that you had, all those dreams that you dreamed, all that stuff, where's it now? Where's it? You thought you were, ah, couldn't have been God, couldn't have been anything substantial, couldn't have been anything significant. It was just that. But when you've had a dream from God, you know. You know that he's, he's going to make it come to pass. You have to just recognize the moment. I'm in the moment. And so, you know what happened to Joseph's moment? He, he comes before Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh says, what is the meaning of my dream? And he tells him what the meaning of the dream is. And Joseph... And Pharaoh looks at all of the smart men, all of the Harvard guys, the Princeton guys, the UCT guys, the Oxford, Cambridge, Wits, Pretoria University, Stellenbosch, all of the guys, you name it. He looked at all of them and said, you guys are all corrupted by my own system. I can't trust you to save anything in this system. Because you'll just break it more. So who are we going to get to help save us from this thing that is coming? Oh, there's one amongst us that has the wisdom of the Most High God. And actually, Pharaoh, Joseph saw his mom and he said, Oh, Pharaoh, by the way, I've got a solution for you. Put, take a man that's got counsel and wisdom and put him in charge and let him manage the seven fat years so that when the seven lean years come, that you take the seven fat years stuff and you portion it out over the seven lean years. Therefore, you'll save the whole system. Pharaoh says, yeah, but this leaves a lot of corruption room. Sounds like the Guptas and Eskom. Right? Leaves a loom room for a lot of corruption. Well, let's take a spiritual man in whom there is no, a man that has actually been serving his dream in the dungeons of the prison. Let's take that man who served his dream in the dungeons and let's put him because he's got nothing to lose.
but the wisdom of God is in him, and he can run the system. And so then what happened? All his mothers and fathers came and bowed down to him. But he didn't care about that. It was never ever about dominion. It was never ever about ruling over them. It was all about fulfilling God's plan. So in the right moment, he was the right man. And always your dream and vision is to be in the right moment and be the right person so that God can help all of us redeem what God needs to redeem. I trust you are hearing my heart today. I trust you are hearing how God has impacted me on this trip. That out of all the busyness, there were things that were said to me. Hallelujah. Isn't that what you prayed for anyway? Every time when you pray for me, isn't that what you pray for? That I will see, that I will hear, that I will know what God's will is, that I will walk into the places and spaces that God has planned for us. Hallelujah. And so it is my desire that... that uh, that I, I go before God and I hear what God has to say to me. And there is perhaps a very good opportunity in the days ahead for me to do that now. But I'll get back to you. Amen. It's just how I go about it, actually. That's really what I'm wanting to hear from the Lord. Amen. Don't you want to stand with me, please? Come on. That message felt like it was only five minutes. Didn't it? Praise Jesus. I'm not going to go up there. I'm going to just stand down here. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, uh, uh, this is for somebody here. I have to say this. But there are, there, are, there are things that you really desire to have as an outcome in your life. And uh, I believe that, that God is in the process of, in the climate of this church and what God has been ministering for some time now, He is creating the environment for you to, to step up, step up, step into. Hallelujah. I encourage you to listen to this message. To some, I have to say, to some of you, I have to say, it will require a financial seed. To some, I have to say, it will require you to give time of yourself to press into God, to hear what God wants to say for you. And that you can't keep running on a treadmill like a mouse on a wheel and think you're going to get anywhere. 
just keeping the wheel running. You've got to take some time out and say, I'm going to press into God rather than read a novel over Christmas and rest and go and play sport or go to movies and have popcorn and do all that kind of stuff. I feel to some of you that this is a time when you set aside time to press into God. I mean, I'm not saying don't have time also where you enjoy family time and stuff like that. I'm just saying, take time to specially put aside time and press into God. And hear what God's got to say about your life. He will talk to you. If you go and press into Him, He will talk to you. He will. There are some of you that God has got gifts and callings that He's placed in you. And your life is just like you're treading water. And God wants you to stop treading water. And He wants you to zoom across to the other side. And it needs you to press in in prayer and recognize your gifting and calling and bring it to the church. Perhaps first in prayer and in your heart and then come and speak to one of us and say, I'm bringing my gift. And it might not, you might not know, we might not know how to, to receive it. But the mere bringing of it will be enough for God to activate what's next. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thus says the Lord. And you know me. I very seldom do this. But I do do it when the Lord moves on me to say it. Thus says the Lord. I need that to be transcribed word for word. And then send it to everybody in the church on WhatsApp or whatever. Put it on the, on the website and let them print it out or whatever. Praise Jesus. Please put your hand on your heart. How would you like you to pray this prayer with me to make sure that Jesus lives in your heart? There are some, I don't want to take for granted that everybody's saved here today. There might be people that are not saved. So let's pray together a prayer of salvation and say, Jesus, I receive you as Lord and Savior. Come live in my heart. I thank you that you saved me from my past, from my sin, from myself. I thank you, Jesus, that from today I am a child of God. I now call you Father. I call you Lord. I call you Savior. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you can say this with me. I am a child of God. I'm blessed going in, and I'm blessed going out. I thank you, Lord, that your word and the blood of Jesus surrounds me and protects me. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. My Father, I pray that your peace will be upon your people. And I pray that the words that have been spoken today that they will have the effect that they, you desire them to have. And that as a vessel, that I've done it in the way that you have asked me to do it. And wherever my own human weakness has interfered, I ask you to overcome that by your grace and your mercy and let the pureness of the word of truth come to your people. 
And let them receive it in pureness of the Holy Spirit. Let them receive it in truth that sets them free. I ask this, Father, in the name of Jesus. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Trusting in that name that is above every name. I ask it that it shall be done. If you're in agreement with that, will you say amen? Amen. Well, be blessed and go in peace, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for praying for me while I've been away. Bye, y'all.